that's the dream though music it can be anything you know mm-hmm. it's it's uh it's a hobby it's a career it's background noise it's you know it's why we do it right it, it, it can fill it fills so many spaces in your brain or, or in your life Hello and welcome to Where the Living Room Used to Be, a podcast about Rhode Island's music scene. Hey everyone, it's James. Aaron Janig joins me on this episode for a great conversation about his experience working at the living room, some key lessons he learned from Randy Heen, the start of the parlor and what it was like for him to end his time there, and some of the bands he's played in over the years. This was definitely a fun interview and one that's been in the works for a bit, so I'm super happy I was able to connect with Aaron and help share the news of his latest venture at Wes's Rib House as well. If you enjoyed the episode please leave a rating and review wherever you're listening right now and make sure to subscribe as i'll be releasing some bonus episodes with aaron over the coming weeks thanks i definitely remember music being part of my household but you know i, I when i was young you know everybody just listened to michael jackson and twisted sister and weird al or whatever yeah but, like the stuff that was on the radio yeah. um you know, and then Metallica and all that nonsense that came out in the 80s. But I, there are, <laughs> there's a couple, like, moments in particular. I was telling somebody else this story. One of the most important musical memories, I, I remember being at a, uh, I was in seventh grade at a um, Our Lady of Mercy Catholic Regional School roller skating party. Okay. Um, you know, and, like, the standard hits you know the final countdown was playing yeah or like you know some hall and oats jam and everybody <laughs> was having a great time but there was this one kid this eighth grader who like he had on a a, a like vision fanny pack or like, <laughs> like some skate brand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah he had on some like skatewear and like this wild floppy haircut and he was he was rolling around this roller skating party with a walkman headset on yeah and i'm like why would you go to a place where there's like all this loud great music going on and listen to something else like it was like something that really blew my mind at the time so i went over and i said ray like what are you listening to man yeah and i remember so distinctly him pulling the cassette tape cover to they might be giants lincoln out of his pocket Okay, and he's like, dude, this this is the greatest record that's ever been made to this point in 1989. Yeah, um, you got to listen to it, dude. Uh huh. And so I remember like him handing me his Walkman headphones and listening to that opening track, Anna Eng. It is, I think, um, it definitely is. But and just being like, I had never heard anything like it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it was just one of those moments where you're like, holy cow! There's like a whole other like this yeah. is this is definitely not a europe song yeah like this is there's music that's happening that isn't on the radio or isn't on right in, in yeah paper or magazines or whatever you know i remember that like i got you know that was 
35 years ago or something and it's like it's such a distinct memory of like opening my mind to thinking about music that you couldn't hear other places um i remember being at a friend's cookout too once he was this total you know mohawk combat boots yeah uh the whole nine like my friend's cousin we went to his family cookout and his like older cool cousin was like everyone's outside doing cookout stuff and his cousin's just in his room listening to music and i was yeah. like it's like you know what all right what is this guy listening to yeah like, well, it's a beautiful summer day we're eating hamburgers dude and you're in your room in the dark listening to music and uh the same thing i remember going and asking him like what are you listening to dude and he, he had the, the um seven seconds walk together rock together record yeah okay and uh that 99 red balloons thing he put it in and it was like another moment of like i know that song but this is like a whole different world that kind of like just made me realize you know at 12 years old like all right so there's this weird alternative rock stuff but there's also oh punk rock is also uh yeah something cool you know and those are the two moments that really kind of started me just thinking about music differently Mm -hmm. i remember those both of those moments so clearly um, and where did that take you? Did you start playing music or um, uh, what was your a little bit, yeah. you know, like any suburban adolescent that doesn't have a real picture of how the world works. Yeah. You know, like my friend Jim got a guitar and I would have like some drum pads or like not even a drum set. You know what I mean? Oh, okay, we would yeah, just yeah. bang on stuff in the basement. And he, he actually is a pretty amazing songwriter. Even then he was pretty good. And it, it uh, you know, we would record it, and like I remember recording, like it was literally like me playing the floor, and him on acoustic <laughs> guitar, and three people trying to sing harmony. And we like at twelve years old, we sent that in to apply for the uh, WBRE Rock Hunt or something. Like, oh wow! Yeah, it was like you know you hear the ad, like yeah. local bands, please send in your tapes. Yeah. And we were like, I can't imagine like whoever, if anyone ever listened to that tape, like what they thought about it. Yeah. Um. So the, yeah, it was playing music, but then also you know. I remember... Uh, and where was this? Like, where did you grow up? Potawatomi, which is uh, that weird section of Warwick that's not connected to the rest of Warwick between East Greenwich and North Kingstown. Like, down, okay. by, down by Goddard Park. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird... Connect- <laughs> Warwick is connected by the bay. Yeah. It's not even... All right. But, yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um. But actually, I ended up, the first band I ever played in was with that dude, Jim. And uh, What band was that? It was called, and I had never even seen this movie, um, but I read in Rolling Stone about John Doe and Adam Horowitz from the Beastie Boys. Okay. We're in this, like, motorcycle buddy film. And, like, my local blockbuster video didn't uh, have the movie. Yeah. But in my mind, it was the coolest movie of all time. Yeah. Um, it was called Roadside Profits. I don't know if you've ever no, seen that film. No, I've a, never, never it, heard of it. It's yeah. a fantastic movie. Um, but it's this really bizarre, like, motorcycle buddy film. They end up going cross-country. They meet Arlo Guthrie. and I don't know. But it's, a, it's, it's a pretty wild movie. Yeah, so it has, like, a bunch of music folks in it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Cool. I hadn't seen it. Till, I didn't ever end up seeing it until much later. But we named, I, it was a cool band name. Yeah. Especially for like a movie that I convinced myself was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> even though I'd never seen it. Yeah, yeah. Um <clears throat> but you know, it was the same thing. We we were so bad. 
the first time we played live at the uh, Tollgate Follies talent show in 1993, we were so bad for the Saturday night show that our drummer didn't show up for the Sunday matinee show. He was just like too embarrassed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, just gave up on that. <laughs> yeah. He just didn't show up. Yeah. For yeah. The, uh, yeah. He, he and what played. were you playing in that band? Or... I was playing bass. You were playing bass. Okay. Yeah. And it was pretty funny though, because then the kid who was playing keys ended up playing drums the next day. And we just stuck our friend Jay behind the keyboards and he just stood there and he got a lot of compliments after the show about <laughs> just kind of like uh, air keyboarding <laughs> yeah and i don't think he even did anything oh, yeah. he just stood there you know um yeah but yeah i ended up, i played with those guys for a long time and and honestly that without um one of the other guys in that band's name was also aaron uh he lives out west now but without him i don't know if i would have ever taken this trajectory the way we did because our my relationship and my band's relationship with Randy at the living room um, was initiated largely, you know, we were 16, 17 uh-huh. years old trying to, you know, get gigs in Providence or whatever. Um, but, and as we got old, I guess that Aaron started working at the Kinko's on Thayer Street. Okay, yeah. Um and so in 1994, Kinko's was having an in at Kinko's to get cheap flyers. And, yeah. you know, obviously there's, this is no, not even the MySpace generation yet. Yeah. Never mind whatever other ways we promote music today, but yeah. flyers were gold. Yeah. Yeah. Kinko's was one of the <coughs> most important businesses that weren't tied to music, but was so tied to music. You know, right. there's all these stories of musicians that, that worked there. And yeah. So we got gigs we had no business getting. Because Randy could get cheap flyers from Aaron at Kinko's. Oh, really? For the living room. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he was just like, he was appreciative, you know, and whatever yeah. else. I mean, yeah, and we weren't bad, but it, we certainly, you know, the night before Thanksgiving, there was a band in that back then, Wet Stew. I don't know if you remember oh, these yeah, guys. Oh, yeah, I think I've heard that they name. They were pretty yeah. big on like the hippie and jam scene and all yeah. that stuff. You know, they put seven, eight hundred people in the living room the night before Thanksgiving around wow. them. And, you know, pre- al- based almost entirely on the fact that Randy didn't have to pay for flyers to promote all his other nights. He he would put us on shows like that. So, wow. you know, and that allowed me to, you know, develop a relationship with him and with the club that probably wouldn't have developed naturally if we were just like untalented uh, yeah. alt folk kids in the mid 90s yeah they were playing every couple of months or whatever right the the normal thing you just had a deeper connection with them right basically just over the flyers yeah (laughs) the kinkos thanks kinkos you know (laughs) Uh, but that right but so that you know that relationship with randy in the living room changed my life you know Mm -hmm. what i mean i can't even because at that time which it was the yeah well like what's what uh Living room was it? Was that the second one? No, that was the, the second one? living room closed in 1989. Oh, it was 89. Okay, yeah, I can, and then it was 90 or, or early 90. 95, and, right? And we opened. Yeah, Randy reopened over there on Rathbone Street, across from the Coca Cola factory. Yeah. That was 94, 95. Yeah, okay, all right, yeah. Um, so I, I would beg my parents. I remember uh, Ice T's Body Count was one of the shows. Definitely Ramon's shows. I would beg my parents to let me go to shows at the living room mm-hmm. in the early. Uh, in the late 80s and i never 
I never pulled it off. They never would let me go. Oh, no? no. <laughs> uh, so, I, yeah, I never made it to the big bubble, the infamous room. But, yeah, um, you know, every generation idolizes the part they got to live. So, yeah. you know, but I think we did some pretty cool stuff at that. You know, you talk to some old timers, the, the third living room, that wasn't even really a thing. I was like, well, it's because you never came. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, there was there was plenty of stuff going on there. Yeah, can you talk more about that? So, obviously, you uh, built that relationship with Randy. Like, how did you end up working there? And um, and then, yeah, what are some of the, you know, memorable times there? Sure. Oh, memorable times. That's – we don't have that long. But. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we just kept playing there all through. That, those guys that I was playing with, Aaron and Jim, in our just little alt folk trio – we had like a residency at the 193 Coffee House at URI, and we played. Yeah. We were playing Living Room, AS220, whatever. But uh, they were those two guys were taking music pretty serious. They still have some. You can check out what they're up to now. They have a band. Uh, they've released a couple. You know, Jim lives in Minnesota. Aaron lives in California. But they actually record. They still together. put out full records. They record together virtually and yep. send each other tracks. It's called the Ampersands. Oh, okay. Um, Pretty cool, like apple apples and stereo kind of like. Oh, okay. Uh, poppy. That's cool. Interesting poppy stuff. Yeah, they're yeah. they still doing cool music. Um, but those guys were taking their music serious, and I was at that point you or I not taking anything serious. So they kicked me out of that band. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and but still wanted to be involved in live music and 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 whatever else for uh, you know. I hooked up with my friend Mike and we just started trying to manage bands and, and book shows and stuff. And there, there was a band at URI back then called the Lula that we were managing them. And we started booking them pretty regular at the living room. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were bringing in some other bands and putting on some nights here and there. And um, at one, at, so I forget exactly how it all panned out, but Randy just offered us Wednesday nights he oh, that's a steady thing. He said, "Hey, do you got you know you guys want to book Wednesday nights at the living room? Uh, you have to pay the sound guy sixty dollars a night and do the door yourself. Yeah, I'll provide a bartender. And you guys book the bands and do whatever you want. You know, yeah, with the door is you know you guys cover the you guys cover the sound man who at, at that point was that was August of ninety nine. I think we started doing that." Um, sound man was making 60 bucks a night so as long as we could get 60 bucks through the door pay the sound guy and you know obviously so we we started booking every wednesday night at the living room wow that, that went on for a few years um but in that time as we were there every week and doing stuff and i get what he's doing you know i do the same thing it's honestly one of the biggest lessons i learned from randy is when we're jumping ahead of time here but after his first car accident this is years later um and he sort of was kind of back out of actively running the club yeah as he was rehabilitating from that and he had just had some kids got remarried all this other stuff um when he handed me the control of the booking calendar at the living room you know and we spent an afternoon in training an uh, afternoon in training <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was you know he said yeah, I, he I said, know you've been doing it but he still, said like, you know what i do i've done for a living for the last 30 years i throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks you yeah. know what i mean and, and so 
the biggest example at that time because even during the lean times, you know, um, before Mike D and, and the folks from the old Met got involved and started bringing in national acts to the living room, there was some tough times going on over there. Just um, the thing that kept that place open was the Tuesday night energy techno night. Yeah. Which had sort of started with a couple of DJs and their friends, you know, yeah. 15, 20 people in a room every Tuesday for years before all of a sudden there were five, 600 kids showing up every Tuesday for that night. So I think in Randy's mind saw that maybe this jam band scene, which is largely what Mike and I were booking at that time, mm -hmm. you know, jazz and funk and jam band stuff. Um, as maybe the next thing that would go from a couple of hippies hanging out in a room to maybe, you know, a few hundred hippies hanging out in a room. So he did the same thing. He gave us those Wednesday nights and now I'm there every week. I'm hanging out with the staff. Um, I remember Eric Paul from Arab on radar. Yeah. Who did the door there quite a bit when specifically did the door every Friday night, Eric was going on tour and quit working at the living room. Mm -hmm. And Randy, this is it. You want Friday nights? And now, you know, from that moment on, I just, I worked there for 10 years, pretty much. Uh, wow. Yeah. Three, five, seven nights a week. Yeah. And was it the type of place you were hanging out when you weren't working or? Yes and no. Yeah. I mean, depending on what was going yeah, on. Yeah, and at yeah. one point, you know, so when I was still working a day job, managing a group home at that time and working a couple, two, three nights at the living room. And then Randy got in that first car accident mm -hmm. and then, uh, you know, it turned into now I'm working a full-time J job and working six, seven nights at the living room. Yeah, so, okay. you know, my 20, that was what, 2003 mm -hmm. in my young 20s decided to give up the, the social work career and go with the Latin, you know, nightclub career seemed a little more interesting. I mean, it yeah. still does, but, yeah. um, you know, it was kind of a no-brainer at that time. I couldn't work two full-time jobs, so it was. Yeah, um, that was it. Never looked back. Yeah, was it like a comfortable thing, or how did you feel managing all that stuff? Or once, yeah, you know, like finishing that story of after your afternoon of training, um, <laughs> you know, having this this club and filling a calendar, and uh, you know, like what was that? You know, what it, was that like? Was it exciting? Was it? Oh yeah, I mean, it was, was actually like uh, a, everything. Yeah. It was all of those things for sure. But you know, I remember as a teenager. You know, I I don't even know if this was. I guess it was probably Lollapalooza. Uh -huh. Was the I didn't go to that first Lollapalooza, but the second one. Um, what was that? Ninety one or ninety two? Maybe I don't know, yeah. Ministry and uh, Ice Cube. Anyway, I, I after that, I would like just I had notebooks full of like festivals and show lineups, and this was before I ever w had booked a show in my life. But yeah. like my brain was just like I want to put music together. I want to curate yeah. events. It was just like you know I would just sit on my floor in my bedroom and listen to music and dream of like oh man this show would be amazing imagine if like this lineup was a thing yeah. or like yeah. I'd put like imaginary three day festivals on paper in my I don't know it was just one of those That's things cool. I did as a yeah. 13 year old kid or whatever you know what I mean but yeah. so it it was sort of the same thing you know yeah. where and at that time uh, 
Were a lot of the, people reaching out for you? At yeah, that time, I mean, or? it was the living room. You know, yeah, at that so time, the getting... phone was ringing off the hook. You know, yeah. and um, like I mentioned, you know, when the ori- uh, not the original Met, but the the Met Cafe that was on Union Street, uh, connected to the old Lupos. Yeah, when that shut down, there was sort of a a deficit for that Lupo's crew who were, you know, still putting the big national acts in, in Lupo's, in Lupo's but didn't have, you know, the people on the way up or the people on the way down. Yeah. Kind of, they lost a spot to do that. So Mike D started bringing all that stuff, all those torn acts into the living room and, mm-hmm. and the phone was ringing off the hook for local shows. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we just got, it was feeling like, like I, I think back, I have some of those calendars. Mm-hmm. And how many bands still. were you doing each night? Well, that, it was a whole different, live music happened in such a different way Yeah, back then. I mean, this, most of these shows on a Friday, Saturday night, you had five, six bands, metal yeah. bands, punk bands, all doing, uh, all bringing in their all gear. There was no like sharing equipment. <laughs> you know, yeah. you'd, have, you'd have five or six drum kits, five or six like full guitar and bass setups. I mean, it just... Switching over band, switching over band. It was. Uh, so we would do that. Lazy I look at now is what I, you're saying. Well, no, it's just that's what you <laughs> more efficient. You know, <laughs> it, the overhead. I mean, it was a big space. You know what yeah. I mean. So in order to get enough people in there to cover who you needed to pay to run the business and also yeah. get enough money through the door to pay the bands. Yeah. You needed five or six bands, some mm-hmm. most nice to generate the amount of people that could make anybody any money. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the way, but that model doesn't really work anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's uh, it's hard. I mean, having run a pl- another, it was you know, obviously the parlor was a lot smaller than the living room, but it's still to run a place only as a music venue, it, it's really hard. I mean, yeah, in order to to generate enough revenue to to pay the bands and pay your staff and keep your space. I mean, it's um, I give those folks a lot of credit. It's, it's not easy work, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, those I have those, those calendars. We were booking live music. I mean, some years, three hundred and thirty nights a year, we would, the living room would be open with live music. You know, and that was the yeah. other lesson I learned from Randy. Then we had an all ages license. Yeah. That, um, you know, Monday nights, Wednesday nights. And he always said, you know, sure, this is a. 14, 15 year old kid playing for his mom and his girlfriend or whatever. And it doesn't always sound great or, you know, it's not always, but you know, you, you develop that love for music and for playing out and being in a band. When kids get to experience that at 14, 15, 16 years old, not only are they going to be loyal to you or interested in being a part of the scene that you're building, you know, they're going to turn 18, they're going to turn 21. They're going to be friends of the living room for life. You know what I mean? It was, and not that it was like a scheme or a business model. It was just like, this this is the way you have to regenerate what happens here. Because for most people, unfortunately playing music is a hobby, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It's really hard to make it a career. So you got, people that are fired up about it, but they're not all going to be able to do it forever, you know, and you need to foster the people coming yeah. up behind that. And that, that was something that ran, you know, so we ran live music seven nights a week, most weeks, you know what I mean? Sunday mm-hmm. night, Monday night, Wednesday night, you're putting five bands full of teenagers a lot of times out there and just, it wasn't always fun or it didn't always sound great, but it, you know, it was, uh, it was important. 
No, yeah, that's amazing, and that's just cool to uh, to hear that about Randy and just the understanding and foresight that he that he had for that. You know, and he had to do it because I mean, he was the same way. He he was a dreamer. He he had plenty of opportunities to do things other than, right? You know, I think he ended up um, giving up his house. He lost his house in the process of opening and keeping open that third living room, you know, at a time where things weren't going well. He had this tiny apartment above a barbershop on Branch Avenue, you know what I mean? Wow, For, okay. You know, at one point early on in that third living room where, you know, a lot of people in their 40s, you know, with the son in college or whatever else was going on at that time, you get to that point where it comes down to your house or, or, or the music and, and Randy chose the music. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, in his history, it's just amazing anyway, from yeah. managing PPAC and then opening the first living room downtown. Yep. Um, it was just, you know, he, he always said, and I'm sure you had Gregory on, so I'm sure we always quote the same stuff. But <laughs> Randy, had his, Randy, had, <laughs> some Randy had his things that he, yeah. he would never uh, let you forget. But, you know, to him, musicians were like the purest form of, of dreamer. He called them the last dreamers in the world, you know, because everybody doesn't matter. You're that kid at 15 on the stage playing to your mom and your girlfriend. That's not what you see or feel when you're looking out. You're on that stage with the sound guy and that huge PA and you're going through the music that you guys have been practicing three times a week for the last six months. I mean, you're dreaming of being on the stage at Lollapalooza or on a world tour or mm -hmm. in the bus or whatever that your particular vision of what doing music for a living would be. You know, Randy saw that feeling, that like pure, just like dream of being a musician. He just had such an appreciation for like what, and as someone who wasn't a musician himself, to be able to see that and appreciate it mm -hmm. and foster it and build it for this city the way he did, it was, uh, it was pretty special. We were lucky. Mm -hmm. And I was yeah. lucky to be part of it. You know, mm -hmm. I don't, you know, obviously, he had been through a devastating car wreck, uh, got hit head-on by a drunk driver leaving. It was a mushroom head. You know that metal band, Mushroom Head? No. No. Uh, they were part of that, like, grind. You know, they wore weird masks. And oh, okay. Played really sludgy, fast metal stuff. Anyway, we had, like, a sold-out show, and Randy was leaving the club. Somebody was coming up the 610 connector from downtown, the wrong direction, whatever. Oh. Oh, yeah. Um. You know, and anyway, for him to come out of that and, you know, hand me the calendar, it was like, you know, it was the key to the castle. You know, uh -huh. it was uh, something I, it was, that was my dream. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is, uh, I was in my early 20s and like had this little book that I was just writing down on bands are calling we got five bands we want to play Friday night but we can bring this money but all right, yeah cool let's go let's do it you know yeah. there, was, there was you know this is a time too where it's still like state of corruption and shed and mm -hmm. you know all those bands were were still kicking and, and packing the place once a month you know a lot of that uh the old punk dudes I mean we had there was there was a there was a good scene but it, there was some 
some lean times too. So it was, uh, I learned it all. You know what I mean? It was all the lessons were learned. Yeah. <laughs> in that building. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, at the end, and I know I don't want to get into the the real ugly bits, but I mean, Gregory and I were taking money out of our pockets and going to buy booze to stay open the next night and paying ourselves back at the end of the night to make sure wow, that we okay. could like, yeah, it got, it got real wild at the very end after Randy passed and, and things got yeah, a little just, crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, but that was, that was all we knew, you know what I mean? And, it, it, and you were doing what you could in that, in that time, you know, we were dreaming of the parlor. It took us just, you know, the, Ran the living room shut in '89. It took Randy five years to get another one open. The living room closed in October 2008. It took Gregory and I to October 2012 to come up with another way to keep getting to listen to live music every night. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, can you talk about that? Uh, you know, that uh, transition and, and the opening of the parlor, and you know which the spot was the penalty box prior to that. Um, but yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that, that experience of opening that together with Gregory and uh, your other partner and stuff? Yeah. Um, you know, it was sort of at the end of the living room. Wasn't a surprise, but it was also sudden. If that makes any sense, we had sort of been looking at possibilities of how to keep it going and exploring other spaces and to move the living room to, and that kind of kept falling through. And then, but the plan coming out of that was always, I mean, Gregory and I had spent so much time night to night in the trenches keeping that place going. And, I mean, it, it was it was a no-brainer. Like, obviously, what do we do next? We find a spot. We figure out a way to open our own spot, you know. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, it ebbed and flowed. We'd talk about it. We'd look. We'd not talk about it for a while. You know, mm -hmm. you'd come up empty a few times. You'd, you know, and then we had Rob from the time capsule and various other ventures who was a huge part of being able to finally get it done uh, yeah. to help Gregory and I overcome some of the financial burdens that we couldn't have on our own. So, yeah. um, you know, it was just really, we, the penalty box was up for sale. We had a deal worked out it fell apart. Nine months later, they came back and offered it to us again. And, you know, it's just, that was a no brainer, but, you mm -hmm. know, um, and at the time, there was an old studio in Pawtucket, Rick and uh, the guys from Six Finger Satellite mm -hmm. had built, I guess, sometime around Nirvana. They sent a real Nirvana-y. This is the story anyway. Like, this is how the legend has trickled down. I don't know entirely <laughs> yeah. how accurate it is. Well, it's going into uh, a podcast now. Yeah, so right. It's gonna, <laughs> so it's going to be true. The way I always heard it is, you know, <laughs> yeah. Six Finger Satellite, who, I mean one of my fa all-time favorite Providence bands um, sent Sub Pop a real Nirvana-y demo and got signed to Sub Pop like, yeah. in that craze. And they took all that, the, the whatever money they got from Sub Pop, and they built this studio in Pawtucket and then made completely non-Nirvana-y music yeah. for, the, <laughs> for the following 10 years. And thank God, because those records are amazing. Um, but anyway, Rob and I, before we open the parlor had actually taken over that studio yeah um 
and it was called the parlor. They called it the parlor. It had always been called the parlor. Um, so I guess I'm just answering questions you never asked now. But anyway. Yeah, no, I, I was going to bring <laughs> up the, the precursor to that was, yeah, like the, the um, studio piece of it. So. Well, it was, and it was all just sort of a natural trail. It's like, well, what do we call this bar we're going to open? It's like, mm-hmm. well, the parlor you know the living room where we have this thing called the parlor we had this thing called the living room and um we ended up shutting down the studio around the time we opened the bar so it was like you know sort of a a natural transition yeah the the, the par it's sort of as much as in a, it, it's an extension of the living room it's sort of also an extension of that studio space yeah okay you know we brought some of the gear over and uh we're hoping to bring some of that energy that existed in that room in Pawtucket yeah. with us too you know yeah because who were some of the people like you worked with like Weak Teeth recorded there right um, uh yeah um I remember yeah so who, who were I think uh you remember that came through there we did the Northern Lands record there yeah um we did the Girl Haggard record there we did um B. Dolan ended up coming through eventually uh Dan Sawyer, right? Dan Sawyer, yeah. Yeah. Um, sort of got involved through Jared Paul. Uh, they did the Prayers for Atheists record oh, there. Okay. Um, and through that relationship with Jared and Dan, ended up, uh, B. Dolan did some recording there. I think he brought the whole, what, Cheer Brigade in there at one point. To, oh, all right. To, to, <laughs> to do a track. having your own spot after all of that like what was it was it like the first show was yeah thanksgiving eve 2012 with northern lands and jay burnt and the orphans was that the first show that's what the internet said <laughs> <laughs> yeah we had a soft opening i guess sometime right around halloween yeah i don't <sighs> so yeah it looks like you had opened prior but that was like i'm the trying first, to remember now if that was music. like if there were other events that had happened in that tween time but um man jay burnt was was that band was fantastic at mm-hmm. that time um northern land was pretty good too we had fun yeah we'll get to that too but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah to those that don't know listening aaron was in northern land so that's what the inside joke was you know? <laughs> um no, that band, that was, uh, you know, 
from getting kicked out of playing with my high school friends band while we were in college to like you know how, how serious and fun still but serious working with josh and those guys in other lands was mm-hmm. and, you know driving to boston and new york all the time to do stuff which at that point i had never really been in bands that took life that seriously you know what i mean yeah girl haggard lasted for a long time and played a lot of places but not in a i don't know it just felt different you know northern lands felt different girl haggard was fun we were just you know getting drunk and playing silly country songs yeah really fast yeah um but Northern Lance was different. Yeah, Josh is serious and is a pro. And I mean, yeah, what he's doing now. He's I pretty much forced him to let me play in that band because it was right after the. Um, I forget what where I was. I might have been at Firehouse Thirteen at that time, and I left. I don't know, but um, I had taken a job driving a truck for this fertilizer company. Okay. get laid off in the winter. Yeah. So I had nothing to do. I was maybe bartending at Talk of the Town a night or two. I was laid off all winter. And I went to, uh, what's that place? The bar in the water where the guy from Dropkick Murphy's owned it for a while, but now it's oh, the uh, oh, Fish Co. Yeah, Fish Co. Right. Okay, yeah. Josh and uh, Pete, the guitar player, and the other Josh, the drummer, were playing the show at Fishco without a bass player. And so I pretty much just kind of forced my way into the band. <laughs> I said, listen, dude. Um, and then honestly, that was, we spent that whole winter, you know, Pete was laid off landscaper. Josh was taking music serious. I uh-huh. was laid off for the winter. We, this is some basement in the West end. Uh, we just stayed there all winter and just played music like three, four, five hours a day. Some days, like wow. three or four times a week. Sometimes I don't know that it was. Uh, that was that was the most serious and and like cool. diligent I had ever been about playing music, and it, yeah, it, it was uh, it was a fun time. Yeah, I didn't realize that. You know, I mean, I I knew that it, it seemed like it the the band. I thought it was more of just because of the history, you know, Josh had played in, in other bands and, um, such as yourself, you know, girl Haggard and, and just your history in, in booking. But it seemed that, yeah, like once the Northern lands came out as a band, the name of the bands, you know, like it was like, you're playing BRU spring, you know, or summer concerts, you're, you know, playing a bunch of other like opening sets. You're just, yeah, traveling a lot. And stuff. Yeah, it, uh, was, it was awesome. We, but, we deservedly lost the WBRU rock on to, uh, Roz Raskin and the Rice Cakes. So, yeah, I'll uh, I'll take runner up to Roz any day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, with with the parlor, I mean, however much you want to talk about it, but um, what I guess if even just answering like, was it was it cool? You know, like that that first night you're opening and, and you had those dreams for years. You know, and, to and like, finally do like, it for yourself to, to do it and like our lock up that night and be like, oh, this is. This is my place. This is our place. You know, like yeah, it's all such a blur now. You mm-hmm. know, as as much as I do have like some really clear musical moments in my brain, the mm-hmm. parlor was such a blur to get that place. You know, I think people were walking through the front door for the soft opening while um, Brian, our, our friend Brian, was still painting. 
the logo above the door, like the paint was still wet. He might have still been on the ladder and people were walking underneath <laughs> to come in and get drinks. Yeah. You know, we had just got our liquor license and it, it was all a blur, you know, and then it, it, it was, but it was the same thing. I mean, it was a struggle, you know, well, is this a neighborhood bar? Is this a music venue? Can we sell yeah. food? Can this, you know, we, you know, it's, it always turns out a little different than maybe what yeah. you thought it was going to be originally. We did everything we could to try to entice, like, we're going to open at three o'clock because that's when the shift change is at Miriam Hospital. And then maybe all these people, you know, but smartly and rightfully so, people drive back to their home and go to their neighborhood bar rather than get drunk in Providence and then drive home. So, yeah, yeah. you know, that never really materialized. And, you know, it, you start throwing stuff against the wall and see what sticks. You know, yeah. the sea shanty band shows up and says, all right, listen, I want to do these family-friendly sea shanty sing-along nights. And mm-hmm. you go, really? Why would you want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's give it a shot. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden that's like your busiest night of the month is when, you know, all of the adults who don't go to live music events anymore because they have children show up with their children at six o'clock on a Friday and put a hundred and something people yeah. in the place for sea shanty sing-along night. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's that's the beauty of it. You yeah. never really know what's going to work or what's going to, you know, and then we did that. That night is still going. It's still 11. Yeah. 12 years later almost mm-hmm. they still do that once a month on a friday night you know what i mean it's we did a little bit of everything there's, you know that reggae night's been going for 12 years you know there's yeah. uh the open mics had some different iterations but it's still one of the best ones in the city you know it's it's mm-hmm. uh you know it's weird to be completely frank to like now have something the thing that you know for a long time after i left the parlor it's incredibly difficult to think about anything, to think about life. Like, what does life look like after you did the thing you always wanted to do? Mm-hmm. You know, it took me a long time to figure out what com- what do you what do you do? I did. I got to do the thing I dreamed of doing. Like the you know, Gregory and I opened the place we always wanted to open and did it every night for ten years, like or nine years, however long I was there. But you know. What comes after that was that was a really hard question <laughs> for me to answer day to day for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's where actually you know, and now here we are. Yeah, I finally have an answer. It yeah, took me, it took me five years, I guess. I don't even remember what your original question was. I got distracted no, by know. my emotions. <laughs> oh no, yeah, just your experience at the parlor and what it was yeah, like. Yeah, I mean, with that, you know. Um. But well, so I guess what I, it, it, it is hard now a little bit. I mean, hopefully it'll get less hard because I have something to really sink my heart into again. But mm-hmm. um, you know, it's hard. It was it's hard to have something that you created and something you built and something that you always dreamed of being a part of exist outside of you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's a weird thing. I, I am ecstatic that it, it still exists, and I, I hope Gregory can keep it going for all eternity. It's an amazing place, but it's still weird to process, like on a driving down more North Main Street, you know, going to Sandwich Hut. It's like, man, that I'd spend every day in that building yeah, <laughs> yeah. for 10 years, and now, like, it's still the same thing it was, but I'm not in that building anymore, you know. Yeah. At least when the living room ended, it, they 
put it to rubble. You know, you don't really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those emotions are different, I guess. Yeah. Because um, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to book shows every night. I wanted to listen to music every night. You know, yeah. I wanted to provide that space for other people to do that too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, it just, you know, that room is not big enough, was not big enough. Gregory and I both have families, you know, mm-hmm. it just couldn't support both of us, mm-hmm. you know, so say lovey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're currently at Union Station uh, Brewery, uh, general manager there, and do some of the booking as well. And yeah, I try to let Mike D handle that, you know. Oh, does he handle? Okay. Well, I mean, I not that I don't. I mean, I'm yeah. happy to book bands. It's just, you know, you know that. You know, Mike D doesn't really need any help. You know, yeah. I mean? <laughs> he's he's done it a little bit, you know? right? Yeah, that you know. So yeah. going in there, then that was sort of part of the transition for me to like. But it was a, it's been a really, you know, I was a food and beverage manager in the casino doing at Union Station. It's it's, you know, you get into things not necessarily think, like what am I doing and why am I doing this and mm-hmm. now here I am, you know, here at West's five years later and yeah. it's like oh wait these like. Yeah. I'm in the place that's perfect again, and I actually somehow managed to trip over all the skills I'm going to need to be able to pull this off. Yeah. So, you know, because if I hadn't spent that time at Union or at the casinos or just being more of like a restaurant or food and beverage manager, you know, yep. it's much different than just flying by the seat of your pants in a music venue from yeah. night to night. Or strictly being a bartender or strictly right. any of those things. Like, there's a lot of different stuff of overseeing. Right. The operations, yeah. And now that we have all of those operations happening under one roof, it's like, all right, well, maybe this path actually kind of made sense. Yeah. You know? That's cool. I love that. I love when those, like, when those things just make sense. They just kind of, you know, come together. Um, Yeah. I mean, uh, getting back to some of the music stuff, uh, just wanted to touch on, on Girl Hagger just because they're... You know, you mentioned that it was just a big part. You played in it for a long time. Can you just talk a little bit about that band? And um, I recently saw a music video that you were <laughs> that you were in the Sharks and Cruising, uh, patting the whale video. And I saw, it saw that Girl Haggard had won some gold records, or I don't know. Yeah. That, <laughs> I don't know again. Uh, but anyway, check out that video. It's fantastic. Uh, Aaron's in it. Uh, it's super fun. Yeah. Um, the Sharks still talk yeah, to me yeah. after I berated them yeah. for. Uh, for quite some time at the beginning of the video. Yeah. <laughs> and do you have uh, an, a wardrobe of trucker hats that matched your Western shirts or is that? No. That, I mean, I do have. The, that's for the movie magic. Of sure. It. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I felt a little weird saying it too because I was like. It's a perfect line. <laughs> no, I know. But uh, I, the, the humor of it was not lost on me when I thought of it. But yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm wearing that Slim Cessna yeah. Auto Club hat and I'm like, I'm not, you know. I hope Slim Cessna never sees this because I freaking love Slim. <laughs> like, He's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't want him to take this joke the wrong way. I have a feeling he might appreciate it. Though. Probably. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no. I, you know, I think that's the only band hat I actually – oh, no, I have a Dark Buster hat somewhere in my yeah. closet too. You got a Mallet Brothers one. Oh, that's true. I did, played with that's them. right. I did just get that. That's um, – yeah, Anyway, Girl Haggard, you know, like a – can you talk about? I'd rather talk about Dark Bus Day. You want to talk about? <laughs> Those were some of the best shows at the living room, man. Let me tell you. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, I mean, man. they're incredible band. Like, oh. Yeah. I mean, they were big up in Worcester, too. Like, when they were coming up, it was 
because they're from Boston, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But just still, like they were. They Lenny was the real deal, man. I mean, yeah, he lived it. He wrote about it. He sang about it. It was, uh, you know, sometimes you see a, a punk band and you're like, all right, you, you know, your costume is nice and the songs are okay, mm-hmm. but like that, that was uh, Lenny was the real deal. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, that was uh, Boston working class life, just like exploding on stage for 40 minutes straight it was uh those shows at the living room were some of my favorite and there was there were some good ones yeah that's cool but i would you know they'd come every four or five months and it was like always the best night of the month um no girl haggard i don't want to not talk about girl. it was it was you know there, it was a time where i was a little bit lost the living room closed you know i i took a job bartending and talk of the town i was booking some shows at firehouse 13 for a little while that i don't know if you remember the uh what was that club on westminster street briefly it was just called like the the 201 yeah the 201 201 yep you know i was doing the door there trying to piece together what the heck you know while gregory and i were yep taking our long path towards the parlor doing this and that and it was like you know it was a little bit like you spend every night for nine years in the living room and, and are so tied emotionally and to that when that ended it was like being able to just start a band with some really good friends and write silly songs and practice a couple nights a week and dump a bunch of jim beam nips into our high lifes and, and shoot the shit you know what i mean it was like it was the perfect time it was the perfect band for that time in my life i mean mm-hmm. we had a blast after the original guitar player left to play music with Adam Thoreau, mm-hmm. who like is one of the greatest, nicest, funniest people in the world. But to, it was also just like, to, you know, I don't know if you remember buying an ham sandwich. No. <laughs> and, um, he was like, he was like the, I don't, I don't even, the mascot of the living room or, you know, um, he had this like somewhere between Weird Al and Wesley Willis with maybe a little like there was quality songwriting in there too, like Daniel Johnston. It was like yeah, okay. all, all the quirkiest, weird, silly, fun music stuff you could ever think of. Yeah. Um, and I would always love it. You call the living room answering machine and be like, Tonight at the living room, we have Hitler Stole My Potato with Biennial Ham Sandwich. There were some great band names back then. <laughs> um, yeah. Pickle Spill, Aisle 6. <laughs> um, but anyway, Adam had this sort of comedy rock thing. And uh-huh. honestly, I would, if I, I would throw him on the weirdest shows because it, it fit nowhere. So really, it fit everywhere. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if I had like. Oh my God, this is like this brutally annoying. The people in this band suck. Their music's not that great. Well, you know, you book bands, the space, the living room stage was open, you know, but there's some bands that you didn't always look forward to. It was like, yeah. you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put my anal ham sandwich on this show. <laughs> it's going to make my life so much happier. <laughs> Just even thinking of like, what is their, ex- like, what is this shitty band's experience going to be watching this? Yeah, you right. Know, like, well, that too. And just being like, who? Why are these? What is going on here? Just and you're like, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> he had this sidekick named Monstrosito. I mean, saying it out loud all these years later, it was uh, 
it's pretty wild stuff that, you know which was basically <laughs> just another kid with a like a sheet over his head <laughs> and like a toenail painted on the front and he would just stand there while adam played the keyboard and um yeah it's grand buffet you remember grand buffet yeah yeah it was you know like yeah i mean they were doing the hip-hop version of it but it yeah. was you know it was just silly and fun yeah but anyway i mean adam was an he's an amazing guitar player he without andy he played in there was okay, yeah. other uh, yeah. bands along the way but we lost our guitar player like i don't know two days before a show and i was like oh i called up adam and it was just hey can you learn eight songs in 20 minutes and he was like yeah no problem <laughs> um and i think he thought he was just probably filling in um, but he ended up playing with us for another two or three years or however long that band went on for. It was a while. Yeah. Um, but you know, and that's it. Like that band was, we played, we played great shows. We, we did the rock on with that band. We, you know, did a lot of shows with Sasquatch and other yeah. open for the super suckers. And, you know, it was cool. But honestly, that band was more just about hanging out with Hunter and Mandy and Adam and, having a couple of beers and shooting the shit and yeah. playing some music along the way, you know? sporadically been a musician i've never and I, I even hesitate to call myself a musician because you know i've gone years without even touching an instrument sometimes after you know um we had a band called the river bottom nightmare band sometime in the early 2000s and then brandon actually who's going to be smoking all the brisket here mm -hmm. i joined the the um the hillbilly graham crackers for a while but like all of these projects have like years of time where i'm not really playing any music in between them and then somehow you always come back to it when you need it you know mm -hmm. at least that's how playing music has been for me mm -hmm. you know and swamp birds now too like yeah you know that's actually the perfect fit you know sometimes we barely get around to practicing because jen made soup and we have a couple of glasses of wine. Oh, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like, oh wait, we have a, you know, it's only a few shows a year, but it's like, yeah, cool. I get to hang out with JJ and Kate and Brian and Jen. Like, mm -hmm. let's, uh, yeah, let's also make some music. But yeah, um, you know, and you just connect with them just from being friends and like that's the same sort of thing of like they needed a bass player. Yeah, it was. I think at some point, I don't know. Jen and I have also been mixed up in this, some sort of some of the same activism and environmental mm -hmm. uh, circles, 
and stuff. And I don't know how what we were talking about. Or it was like, yeah, we don't really have a bass player. And, you know, sometimes I think Steve Donovan was filling in and helping him out when he could. But he's got so much stuff going yeah, on. I yeah. was like, ah, you know. I, I, I was like, well, you know, if I can do it, I'd be happy to help. And then mm-hmm. it just sort of turned into... Cool. I hope Jen's making soup. I want to go there every Tuesday. <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just um, it's it's more about being around good people sometimes yeah. than it is you know about making music. But making music's you know also pretty fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good place to be. I, I love hearing that, and can yeah, can identify just how how the stuff can like the priorities of of music and um, yeah. I mean, getting back to what Randy said of definitely is true for me of what those dreams were, but they've just evolved over time. And, right. And you know, my, my dreams are just more of the having like deeper connections to the people that are around me. And it, that comes through music and, and playing music and, you know, uh, but yeah, it's, it's different. Like the being on a bus for 200 days a year and all that other kind of stuff is, which always not, sounds not even, great. But, yeah, yeah I mean, for me, that this isn't you know my interview, but yeah, like when I actually went on tour, I was like, oh, this is fun, but this is not what MTV showed me, right? You know, <laughs> you know so yeah, no, and that, I mean, and that's right. That's the dream, though. Music, it can be anything. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's a hobby. It's a career. It's background noise. It's you know. It's why we do it, right? It, it, it can fill it fills so many spaces in your brain or, or in your life. I, honestly, my I my son is so interested and eager in in hearing new music. Like I get to I play DJ for one person really? <laughs> at night from at bedtime, and it's like the most fun. I get to relive like what do I want to show Henry today? You know what I mean? That's cool. Oh, so, uh, and he is such a captive. It's like, all right, you like beats? This is DJ Shadow. And then this is, you know, but where did he get that beat? You know what I mean? Let's go, you know, then we're listening to Miles Davis. And then, you know, it's like, you end up, all right, we're going to learn about Lucero today. Yeah. But really, maybe we should go back and listen to The Highwayman or Lyle Love at first, you know. And he's just like, oh, man. And I just get to play DJ. And we both fall asleep on the, uh, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, that's actually, those are my favorite music moments yeah. <laughs> right now, but hopefully we'll, uh, we'll build some, some new ones here. Yeah. You know, that actually kind of leads me to this, this question, uh, that I ask at the end of every interview. Uh, what has been your greatest musical accomplishment to this point? I mean, I, I, I guess I've never really considered music to be, an accomplishment you know what i mean like i'm not necessarily trying to get anywhere like mm-hmm. uh you know let's just let's just let's just have the thing you know yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> um i don't know i mean obviously like i said you know putting 300 plus nights of music on a year at the living room is like that was a dream come true and to be able to keep randy's dream alive like after he was injured and then after he passed away um you know, and there was a whole generation of, of people, I'm old because nobody says this to me anymore, but, you know, I would be in Maine or somewhere in Florida one time, maybe in an airport in Chicago. Are you the door guy at the living room? 
Was it? No, I swear to God. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because some kid was in a touring band or like, oh, yeah, dude, I, I, uh, I drove down for that Eye on Fire show. That was like the greatest show I've ever seen. He was a door guy at the living room. You know what I mean? It wow. was like, it would, it was, uh, there was a whole generation of people all around New England, at least, that was like, you know, I was literally walking in York Beach, Maine into like this beachside movie theater and and the the kid selling the tickets is like oh yeah man you're the door guy at the living room you know um you know to be a part of that legacy is is Mm -hmm. um obviously i'm incredibly proud of that to build what gregory's been able to keep going at the parlor um i guess you know and i've never i haven't lived in another town in a long time so it's it's hard to always make accurate comparisons but it it feels like just being part of what this arts and music scene in providence is and to to watch it maintain itself so interestingly and creatively and also change so much Mm -hmm. over the time i've been a part of it just to be able to be a part of that and i mean watch it all happen because really at the end of the day the guy booking the shows are i'm not really doing the work i you know that's the part I love. It's fun for me. Like, let's plug this in here and these bands together. Like, oh, man, you guys would be so good if you played with these guys. Like, that's fun for me, but I'm not really doing the work. It's kind of in a – I guess it doesn't feel like an accomplishment necessarily because it's like – I mean, honestly, I'm taking the easy way out. I don't want to have to practice my instrument or <laughs> get really good at <laughs> this. things, like, you know? <laughs> yeah, try to find time to, to be in a band. I just want to be around it. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it, it's – uh I just want to see what y'all can do from night to night. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I, I've never really considered it a personal accomplishment, but it, it sure has been fun to be a part of it all, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, and uh, people don't even remember the BRU rock hunt now, but, um, you know, just like being able to be a part of that stuff. Someday being able to say losing to Roz Raskin is that said, uh, you know, that'll be yeah. something people will value highly. So, yeah. Know. Or, uh, you know, one time, I know you're going to ask me this question in a minute and I'm going to answer it again. But at the old Liberty Fest on, on Duke Street, the yeah. original Liberty Fest, when they were just Christian was and his people over there yeah. on Duke Street were running the original pig roast, Fourth of July party. Mm-hmm. A very young John McCauley played before my sort of before it's time folky jam harmony southern rock band the hillbilly graham crackers yeah which like you know once people found out about you know somewhere between that band and the avid brothers nobody gave a crap about that kind of music you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah and <laughs> <laughs> we were playing it at exactly that time anyway we john we played right after john mccauley so i also uh you know i got to have deer tick open for me yeah that's not really. I mean, <laughs> that's the accomplishment. <laughs> it felt like an yeah. accomplishment. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, those are the uh, <laughs> man. Even John at seventeen was was playing songs that were blowing your mind for real. Yeah, it's yeah. actually the same thing. Like when I was playing in Barn Burning, he was going by My Other Face. He played somewhere. I think it was in Attleboro, and it was like, oh shit, 
who's this dude? Right. No, that's what, that was <laughs> yeah. it. You show up, it's the 4th yeah. of July, you're having a beer, yeah. and then you all of a sudden look up, and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. This kid's freaking good. Yeah. Uh, I guess what comes to mind, though, just out of curiosity, is uh, looking back at those times of the living room, and, you know, yes, it can be, you know, romanticized in some way, but, you know, like, what was happening at babyhead and and those like lineups of you know like what was in the paper and you'd see all that stuff like putting that against like the scene now like like what are your thoughts on that shift of the change in, in how people consume Man. music and, and enjoy music and support music and all that kind of stuff yeah i mean it, looking at those old babyhead ads it's like you don't know how good you had it right i mean mm-hmm. it's like friday night Ben Folds, five. Uh, Saturday night is like, you know, HR from Bad Brain. Sunday yeah. night is like the five best local bands in the city, you know? And then, yeah. Uh, oh, and let's just cap it off on Sunday with like, you know, the biggest like modern hard- hardcore band. Yeah, like the, Sick of It the, All with. Right. <laughs> I went, yeah. dude, that's Sick of It All Madball at Babyhead Sunday afternoons. I must have gone to that show five times. Yeah. <laughs> sick yeah. of It All Madball. Yeah. No, I definitely came up uh, on the hardcore matinees at Babyhead. You know, it, it's t- the world is just, you know, I'm going to sound like an old person, which I am, and I'm becoming As more and more of one every yeah, yeah. day. <laughs> but, which, uh, you know. Back in th- my day. Don't get me wrong. Thank God for that. Yeah. Like, I'm happy to keep letting me get old. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, the world doesn't consume music and entertainment and stuff, you know. It's the same people keep asking us here. Oh, you can still going to be able until 4 a.m.? Like, who? Nobody goes out at 4 a.m. Like, that's yeah. just, that world doesn't exist anymore. Like, I mean, we're, we are, I know it's, there's music venues disappearing, but I mean, most cities are, there's a lot of vacancy in, in music scenes, you know. I think we're pretty lucky here still to have the venues and the amount of local bands and the amount of really talented people that we do. But I mean, I don't know. Am I just a like elderly curmudgeon or turning into one? Like, I, kids just don't go out or start bands or you know do arts the way we did arts. Like, which yeah. is a I know short sighted and ignorant of how like what young people are doing, but it's definitely. It's definitely not, you know, but I, I had this conversation with somebody a couple of days ago, you know, they said, like, it's crazy that, like, rock and roll is almost obsolete. Like, it's not really a thing. Nobody starts a rock and roll band anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think that we are. We're just a little, you need to kind of wake up or get young or pay a little more attention because there aren't polka bands anymore either or there's, you know. There aren't like um, big bad jazz waltz nights, you know. It's yeah, like yeah. Um, music evolves, and, and yeah. that's like that's the we can always listen to or make or start a rock and roll band, you know. Just mm-hmm. like somebody's still making a polka band, mm-hmm. but it, you know, you got to look forward, and and that's it's hard because you know, yes, going to Babyhead, the first when I finally got my parents to let me go to a rock and roll show it was I think the fall of like 1991 at the Rocky Point Palladium oh nice 
Yeah, which for eight dollars, it was the uh, the red hot chili peppers, the smashing pumpkins, and Pearl Jam. Um, you know, I don't know, like to my fourteen year old mind, like that was. You just got, you can't get stuck thinking that's what has has to be forever, right? I mean, yeah. that was amazing thing to be exposed to at fourteen years old, and then convincing my mother to drop me off on Richmond Street on a Sunday afternoon in the middle of downtown Providence. My yeah. mother would drive me and my friends from the burbs and just like let us out in the middle of Richmond Street. Yeah, to to go into like you know these hardcore matinees at Babyhead. I don't know. That stuff doesn't seem to exist the way it did. 30 years ago, but like, I don't want to get stuck on thinking that that means something bad is happening, right? I mean, you kind of have to look at, so if I'm not seeing what young people are doing to be creative or make music, I'm probably not looking hard enough because it's, yeah. it's got to well, be there. Happening. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, and it's like, like, I just don't want to get stuck in looking yeah. at like, you know, yeah, it sucks. We don't have lineups. Like, I can't open the Phoenix and look at, holy crap, night after night after night, yeah. a cool show at Babyhead, night after night after night, a cool show at the living room or whatever. Or, you know, the Lupo's ad used to have 26 shows on it every month, and now it has four, maybe. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. The world is consuming arts and music differently. I just hope I can keep up, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I am perfectly nostalgic for it all and i love being able to be a part of the things i've been able to be a part of mm -hmm. but um you know i don't know i'm looking forward to finding what's next like yeah. what we can fill this room with and and you know hopefully it can be just as much a part of the community or whatever people will be nostalgic about 20 years from now they're like remember mm -hmm. when wes has reopened and they started doing music or you know, whatever mm -hmm. the thing is, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, you treat people well, it will be, you know, because those are the things that seem like that do kind of stand out. I mean, we didn't really talk about it. I mean, it's not an interview of, of, of Randy, but like renowned for how he like treated bands and um, home cooked meals and stuff like that, you know, like uh, Jake's, whenever we played there, they treated us so extremely well. Right. Um, you know, playing at Union Station treat us incredibly well. You know, it's a, it's amazing what you do there. Um, you know, so anyway, those are the types of things that, that can, like how you interact with the bands. Again, like for me personally, yeah, Espresso Bar, like Eric was just an incredible person that just gave us a shot and just treated us well and, and paid us. And the same thing with the parlor. Like there's never been a time that I was, that I played the parlor and like, there's no money. You know, like there was money, you know, like and, and um, I played other places and there's like, so there's no money, you know, like, you know, like, okay, well, whatever, I mean, you know, but, and I don't understand like the business, but it just like the, just the parlor just treated us well, right. you know, um, and continues to treat people well and, and allows people to play and, and to do things, you know, whether it's, yeah, sea shanties or, um, you know, having country bands and bringing in jazz and bringing in this like plethora of stuff of what, you know, started with, with you and, and, you know, I mean, just looking at the diversity of what happens at the parlor is pretty, you know, unmatched. Um, so, but yeah, what you can do here at, at West is I'm certain it's going to be the same, if not better, you know, with just, uh, well, just and I, that's well. part of it too. as well. Right. You know, yeah. So I mean. Well, yeah, you know. <laughs> Those other places didn't have ribs, so I mean, you know. But. Have you ever had a, a smoked roast beef North Shore three-way? 
<laughs> that sounds like oh, dirty, on. but it, it is dirty. But it's like the greatest sandwich of all time. Yeah, but it's you know, <laughs> Boston style roast beef with the barbecue sauce and the mayonnaise. No, but we're no, gonna do it smoked no. roast beef. No, I've never no. had that. No. no, but it sounded like something not a sandwich. Yeah, sure. What is that? That's why I don't know why they yeah. call it that. Yeah, yeah. Why is it the North Shore Three Way? We'll never know. <laughs> but if you want one, yeah, yeah. come to Wes's. Yeah. <laughs> we're, yeah. Well, I've, I've been trying to figure out a way to rehash like those famous old Wesh's commercials but yeah. without all like the inappropriate perversion and disrespect to women and things mm-hmm. that they filled their ads with in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I did just find out that that voice actor that like did Bill Clinton and Pee Wee Herman and like all those um, Wes's Rib House radio ads on it 94HGY like yeah. in the 90s, yeah. that guy is still like, a permanent resident of Rhode Island. Whoa. Um, yeah. So I got to figure out how to like use him to to sort of recreate that vibe without you know um, saying completely inappropriate things. Yeah, yeah, and those you know, utilizing some of the nostalgia, but still recognizing the the, the newness of this, right? Because it's new, it's new ownership. It's you know like you know. But food wise, are you going back to some of that like well, it's you know, just 70s, classic? Uh, recipe stuff or i mean i know you obviously have like a, a new chef that you have coming in here that that's manage all that stuff but are you like kind of using that as reference of going back to some of that or yes and no menu? i mean it's classic family style barbecue you know yeah brisket and pulled pork by the pound and you know collard greens and waffle fries and you know we're not trying to reinvent the wheel yeah you know and i, I don't want to um, sometimes you look behind the curtain and the nostalgia is maybe not, you know, I don't want to give away any of the previous Wes's secrets or mm-hmm. non-secrets or just like adding sugar to store-bought barbecue sauce, you know. To, yeah. Uh, <laughs> is that true? All right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, I, you know, I've probably already said too much. Yeah. But I'm saying like the, the food's going to be on point. Yeah. And I think that that's an unfortunate reality that is going to be difficult because people have so many memories and and attachments to like, I'm sure, you know, come Thursday when we open, we're going to be telling a lot of people they can't have a piggy platter, which was like one of the main feature items on the oh, okay. Wes's menu for a while. I don't even know what was in the piggy platter. I forget. Yeah. But yeah, this is Wes's rib house and we have a lot of respect for what Wes and, and Mike and, you know, Kenny, mm-hmm. who was the, the guy flipping the ribs in the window there for 25 years is still going to be in the window flipping ribs. Like there's going to be oh, plenty cool. of, uh, of authenticity, but it, it's, uh, it's, you know, not to disrespect anything Wes has ever did or what they were putting out. It was all good stuff. But I just, I hope, you know, it's going to be hard to get past the expectations that everybody wants it to be exactly what it used to be because that's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like rock and roll. You know what I mean? We're, uh, it, it, it can be the same, but it's got to be different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We got to, we got to move on. So it's not going to be exactly the Wes as you're used to, but it's, 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 it's going to be good. Yeah. Nice. And how many nights are you planning to do music as like the at the onset here? 
like I said, I was kind of slow rolling it and trying to just, you know, fill nights with people that I have relationships with and have been, you know, dealing with for years and kind of, um, like I said, Mike D has been doing most of the book in the evening station. So not that I haven't been paying attention or, mm-hmm. you know, unfamiliar with the Providence music scene, but at the same time, it's been a few years since I was filling 300 days a, a year on a calendar. So, but you know, with Danielle coming over and getting involved, I think we're going to be able to ramp it up probably a lot sooner than I okay. had originally planned. And it's like I said, it's not like I wanted to take it slow. I just wanted to build it organically. And yeah, um, there's a lot more organic matter in need of a place to play than there was a few weeks ago. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I definitely want to make the space available to keep as many shows going in town a night or a month or a week as possible. So cool. yeah, maybe we were only going to do a couple nights a week at first, but I feel like if people are asking and we can fill the room four or five nights a week, we're going to do that. And mm-hmm. eventually, you know, six, seven nights a week, I'd love to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's really, that's the benefit we have here. We have the restaurant, we have a, you know, a business plan. We can all, get paid every week keeping lessons going and mm-hmm. we can figure out how this room's going to work as we go, you know, yeah. which is a luxury I haven't previously ever yeah, had no, uh, that's cool. trying to do this. But I mean, the way it seems now, we're going to be able to fill the, fill the calendar pretty readily. Uh, I uh, can't wait. Nice. Nice. This has been cool, Aaron. Appreciate it. Well, I talked in circles, I think, but... We talked about some stuff. We did, yeah. <laughs> I'm on level with the lights On your island made of stone and glass Let the rhythm of our breathing rise Hold into the air And we can share this city with